Welcome to Prism Bible, where we learn the Bible so we can live the story. God has a part for each of us to play, and to understand our purpose, we need to grasp the big, beautiful story that's unfolding in history. Join us today as we see the human struggle unravel into jealousy, murder, and corruption. Yet through it all, God preserves a family to keep hope alive for humanity. You're listening to Prism Bible. God's order has broken down as the serpent in the garden deceived the woman while the man sat idly by. Then the man and the woman both disobeyed God's order, his mandate and his prohibition by eating fruit from the forbidden tree. Finally, we saw them exit the garden with deathly consequences because of their disobedient sin against God. But they didn't leave the garden without hope. They're holding on to a promise where an offspring of Eve will come to defeat the serpent. This promised offspring will set the wrong things right again, and they're looking forward to his coming. It's at this point in the story when we meet two of the offspring of Adam and Eve, and two questions should be in our mind. Will one of these offspring be the promised one? Will these offspring honor and follow God in a way that their parents failed to do? After their exit from the garden, The first couple begins to have children, and the first two sons are the initial focus of the narrative. The eldest son, Cain, and the younger son, Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep, while Cain was a tiller of the soil. So in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruit of the soil as an offering to the Lord, while Abel brought the best portions of the firstborn of his flock. And the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering but he had no regard for Cain in his offering. So Cain became very angry, and his countenance fell. Why are you angry, said the Lord to Cain, and why has your countenance fallen? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you refuse to do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires you, but you must master it. Notice a few things here. First, that Abel, the keeper of the sheep, presented the best of his flock as a sacrifice to God. But Cain, the field farmer, only offered a regular portion of his produce to God. Abel gave God the best of what he had, while Cain didn't. Apparently, Abel understood the proper way to honor God, and Cain is angry because God liked Abel's offering better than his. But God encourages Cain that when he does what is right, he'll be accepted just like Abel. Further, he tells Cain that sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Said another way, God calls on Cain to rule over the sin that wants to rule over him. God is telling Cain his identity and his status, but sin wants to deceive him just as the serpent deceived his mother. Cain is on the edge of giving in to something sinful. And soon, find out what that is. Cain said to his brother Abel, Let us go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? I do not know, he answered. Am I my brother's keeper? What have you done? replied the Lord. The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. 
just a generation after his parents ate the fruit of the forbidden tree, Cain has committed the first murder. But in a heinous twist, Cain murders his brother not for something his brother did to him, but for something his brother did for God. Abel honored God, yet he was killed in his obedient honor of God. Maybe that reminds you of someone else later in the Bible story. Now, at this point in the narrative, we have a big problem. Cain has just proven his evil and his lack of faith in God. He's demonstrably shown that sin rules over him, and Abel, the faithful offspring of Adam and Eve, has been killed. How then can the serpent be defeated? Cain was now cursed by God. He couldn't be the promised offspring. Well, the answer to this question comes in the form of another son. Soon, Adam again had relations with his wife, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth, saying, God has granted me another seed in place of Abel, since Cain killed him. Their new son becomes a carrier of the first promise of the Bible, and we see Eve's hope renewed. Eve announces that their third son, Seth, will be a replacement offspring or seed for Abel. Despite murder among her children, Eve says that God's blessing of another child means that hope remains. Seth, the third son, would be the one through whom the ultimate seed of the woman would come, the seed who would conquer the serpent and set things right again, the one who would remove the curse of sin and fix humanity's identity crisis. But apparently that would be a long time off. As we continue through the story, we see that generations pass as Seth's children have children and those children have children and so on. Meanwhile, the same is happening among Adam and Eve's other sons and daughters. Lots and lots of children as the humans begin to populate the land in earnest. Lots of men and women who live on earth before dying outside of the garden, away from the tree of life. Death reigns among humanity, and the corruption of sin spreads its tentacles into the heart of man. Generations pass and evil grows, despite the great promise from God. Eventually, God responds to this rampant wickedness that has spread among the humans. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great upon the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was altogether evil all the time. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the earth, every man and beast and crawling creature and bird of the air, for I am grieved that I have made them. Noah, however, found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Things have gotten so bad among the humans that every inclination of the human mind was nothing but evil all the time. And due to this evil, God was going to wipe out humanity, all mankind except for Noah, because Noah found favor with God. And in the next verse, we find out why. It says, Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. Despite the evil world in which Noah grew up, he still walked with God and God had grace on Noah and saved him from this coming judgment. God said to Noah, The end of all living creatures has come before me, because through them the earth is full of violence. Now behold, I will destroy both them and the earth 
Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and coat it with pitch inside and out. And this is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 450 feet long, 75 feet wide and 45 feet high. And later, you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. And you are to bring two of every living creature into the ark, male and female, to keep them alive with you. And Noah did everything precisely as God commanded him. God has prepared a judgment for the world, but he's also prepared a family, a remnant of humanity to be preserved through the judgment. And soon the judgment comes. As God had originally created all things in the world and called them good, when he saw that mankind had become so evil, he uncreates the world with a great flood. God is giving the world a new beginning. But it's after this incredible and awful destruction that we see echoes of the prior biblical account. Let's follow the story. After about a year on the ark, Noah and his family exit the large boat to a new world. A world in which they are the only eight humans, along with all the animals that were on the ark with them. In a great act of faith and thankfulness, Noah immediately sacrifices animals to God to honor him, just like Abel had done before he was murdered. And now in the new world, we see God saying something very familiar. God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear and the dread of you will fall on every living creature on the earth, every bird of the air, every creature that crawls on the ground and all the fish of the sea. They are delivered into your hand. Everything that lives and moves will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you all things. Don't miss that the first sentence is almost exactly the same mandate that God gave to Adam and Eve after he blessed them. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Yet we see a difference too. God has now made the animals afraid of the humans, and he has granted the humans the animals to eat as food. In this reset of the world, things are a bit different. Before, in the Garden of Eden, humans were not burdened by sin. But in this reset of humanity, the people are already sinful and corrupt. So God makes the world a bit different to accommodate. But he says something else that's very important as we move forward in the story. On the topic of now being able to eat animals, God says, But you must not eat meat with its lifeblood still in it. And surely I will require the life of any man or beast by whose hand your lifeblood is shed. I will demand an accounting from anyone who takes the life of his fellow man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man his blood will be shed. For in his own image, God has made mankind. This may seem like odd commentary, where God moves from the proper way to eat animals to murder. Here, God essentially says that capital punishment is the appropriate punishment for murder. But we shouldn't miss the language. It's blood language. Rather than just murder, blood is used. And from here on in the biblical story, we're reminded of this idea of blood. Blood becomes the quintessential and primary indication of life, the capstone representation of life itself. And when blood is shed by someone in murder, 
their shed blood is the penalty for that murder. A life for a life. This principle of bloodshed as penalty will be emphasized later in the narrative, but remember that we get the first hint of this blood theme right here after the flood. So far, we've seen Adam and Eve reject the order, the mandate, and the prohibition by God in eating the fruit. We've seen murder and sin and death reign over mankind. We've seen a great flood upon the earth, and we've seen a new and altered creation with Noah and his family. Yet despite God's blessing and mandate, the humans remain stuck with something they've had since that fateful day of the fall in the garden. They remain with corrupt hearts, bound to sin against God. Noah, however, appears to have a chance at change. He is, after all, a descendant of Adam and Eve, in a new world with God's blessing behind him. Will he be able to lead the humans to a new utopia of obedience and righteousness before God? Will he be the one to defeat the serpent and uproot the corruption of sin? Will his sons do any better than Cain and Abel? Join us next time as we meet Noah's sons before we see a tower built to the heavens. The humans want to make a name for themselves, but God intervenes. Don't forget to download the Prism Bible app, our mobile app to help you learn the Bible. In addition to this podcast content, we have Bible readings, summaries, and quiz questions on the app to help you get the most out of every lesson. Prism Bible is a project of the Bible Literacy Foundation, a nonprofit dedicated to helping you learn the Bible.